Hello everybody and welcome to the Cane and Rinse podcast, volume 12, issue 573, and today we're going to talk about Death's Door. And joining me, Leon Cox, in this issue, Chris O'Regan. Hello. I'll get him this time. I will. I will do it this time. Sean Fletcher. Hello. Good morning. All the way from Australia once again, our recent recruit, and also veteran Cane and Rinse, Tony Atkins. Ah, oh, too kind. But hello. <laughs> you don't mind being a veteran, do you? God, I'm starting to feel it. But yes. Vintage. Vintage. Yeah. I mean, in the week, in the week at the time of recording, that Darren Gargett of all people turned 40 years old. He's the little baby of the group. Yeah. I know. I mean, he wasn't actually. It was, I think Josh was even younger. But even so, I've seen pictures of Josh with a greying beard and Gargett's got grey <laughs> hair and we really are all. It catch. We I mean, for a really game that deals with death, it does, you know, that does symbolise yeah. something, you know, it's... um. Yeah, it catches up with us all. I've, I've long Mortality. since embraced a grey yes. beard. <laughs> In the end, everyone runs out of time. Oh. But what is Death's Door for those who don't know? Well, really, at its basic most, it's an isometric 3D action adventure with RPG elements. It's a bit Zelda-ish and a bit Souls-ish and a bit Hyperlight Drifter-ish and a few other things which we'll no doubt mention as we go along, in case you've heard of some of those games. But what are our histories with actually playing it? It's not an ancient game, and uh, I don't think there's too much variance depending on which format you play it on, so not too much to be said here. But, uh, Sean, did you get it when the initial buzz was around, or have you come to it more recently? I've, I've come to it um, a little more recently. When when it initially came out, I had I definitely had my, had my eye on the game and just was playing so many other things at the time, so I kept meaning to pick it up and kept meaning to find a free weekend uh, as I, I thought, you know, I heard that it wasn't a long game, but just kind of didn't mm. get around to it. And then, like a lot of great games do, it kind of popped up on uh, Game Pass, I think, right at the start of 2022, so I downloaded it then. Mm. And uh, I was familiar with um, with their work because I'd played Titan Souls before. So and that Right. Bit, oh, good. Yeah, and a bit of a different kind of game. That had a really kind of one central mechanic that they really stuck to, which kind of limited um, that game a little bit. But it, I did see enough there to make me interested in, in what Acid Nerve were, were working on next. So I read that it played a bit like Zelda and, and you know, had those uh, kind of Souls, a reference to Souls, like you mentioned before. Heard it was challenging, and then I heard that you played as a crow, and that was that was kind of what got me over the line <laughs> with it. Yeah, Soul, exactly. <laughs> so... Are you a big COVID guy generally? Uh, look, I know? do. I do like birds. I've got a bit of a penchant for finches. Um, so yeah, I, I do right, like right. do like birds. But yeah, as sure. as mentioned, didn't kind of end up playing it until it did come around to Game Pass, and I I went through it really quickly. I, it isn't such a long game, so I played through it over the course of maybe a weekend, twelve or thirteen hours. But then upon going back to it, I found looking at my save file, I hadn't really gone very deep into the game. I think I only had two or three of the of the five weapons that you could get, loads of the collectibles and that mm. kind of thing I was missing. And I jumped back into my old save game and went, okay, I, I don't really know what I'm doing or, or, or where I am or where I was up to here. So <laughs> yeah. I promptly yeah. kind of started a, a new game there and um, I wanted to really go deep this time and find all the secrets and... After probably playing about half the game without a walkthrough, I was I just found I was missing things. So I full disclosure, yeah. I used the aid of a guide just to dig out some of the secrets and uh, find sure. some of those extra things. And yeah, I'm really looking forward to yeah. digging into it today and talking more about it and um, letting you know about some of the parts that I loved and uh, a few of the parts that I, I didn't like so much as well. Excellent. Me too. Is that tally with your experience, Tony? Or no. Uh- <laughs> 
Uh, Good. So, no, um, so I didn't play this upon release, although I did play it. I think look at my achievements. Twenty seventh of October was my first achievement. So three months there are about. Yeah. Um. So mm-hmm. shortly after release, it, it was a classic case of a game that I was really interested in because it was a part of that. You know, Microsoft have been doing their sizzle reel, although it wasn't at the time. It, you know, there was a lot of people assuming it was going to come to Game Pass day and date, but it didn't. It was just a you know straight right. up purchase, but it was. Uh, a console and PC exclusive to the Microsoft platforms, I guess. Um, for a while. For a while, yeah. And eventually it would come out uh, on other places, which is you know, a good thing. But it was um, it was one of those ones where the, it had enough talk everywhere. You know, people were... You know, it was, there was a lot of clamour around it possibly being part of people's game of years, conversations, etc., etc., which always perks up the interest. So it was one I was interested in, but then didn't obviously pick up straight away. But three months later, you know, just was swept up with the the wave of excitement i guess and yeah i jumped in and um yeah but about i think my final play time was about 27 hours um, wow is that 100 percent? yeah that was 100 percent. so just oh going nice through, okay. mopping up everything etc etc getting all achievements good um, job just having having a really good time and the thing is my history of zelda like i don't say it's my famous history but it's like i i didn't grow up on the kind of isolated zelda games or 2d zelda games so you know it's to me this has felt more of a kind of maybe unique more fresh experience in fact if yeah. anything you mentioned it prior to this um it was closer to something like hyperlight drifted for me so mm. my touchstones were maybe slightly different although obviously i understand like the, the other touchstones this game has with zelda because they continue that throughout the 3D adventures, but um, yeah, so it's a game that I, you know, I, I delve into and then just really wanted to to rinse all the way through. I actually had a spot of time and and just sunk that time into this game, and it, you know, it was a good, you know, probably a good three four weeks worth of having fun with it. So. But for, we'll get more into why later on. Chris, how's about you? I noticed you haven't had acid nerve on your in your or in your in your you haven't been to their sausage factory, I should say. No, but, uh, maybe <laughs> one for the future. No, it's um every time I've tried to reach out to them and they're they're, they're busy and they, they they have this tendency to do their project together and then they go off and do one win a wonderful things or travel the world. So it's difficult to get hold of them. I tried to in origin, originally for uh, for Quest and then. We have here um, their store, so definitely was quite familiar with them. But um, the uh, my interaction with this particular game is one of oh, I should grab that, and I kept on forgetting to do that. Like oh, yeah, I remember to get that. I just should, I should get that because really, this this is one of the this, everything about it is what I love about action adventure games: discovering worlds others have made, and boy, have they made a world. Um. So they being acid nerve, and uh, it just didn't get hold of it until Game Pass kind of arrived, I believe. Memory is correctly, or I may have bought it before it arrived. It's quite possible. However, did be that as it may, um, I initially did sort of dive into it head first, and just didn't really, did really dig into all the aspects of finding the shrines. Finding all the knickknacks, just figuring out all the puzzles, that kind of stuff, and it's just the sense of discovery, and you really are rewarded for it. And uh, sometimes you do hit a wall, which is what I was meant to 
hitting um, certain bosses and indeed mini bosses or subsections or battle arenas that sometimes are even more difficult than bosses, I've found in some cases. Um, I just found it really, really rewarding. It, it, it's a straight line sort of graph of the more we put in, the more we got out of this one, of their store. Mm. And I was fascinated by the backstory, the world. Why were you doing? I love the strange bureaucracy of the world of of the, 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 the Reapers, who seem to be more advanced than anyone else. Very strange world. And you seem um, to be already reviewing the entire game rather than telling us just when you played it. And but I apologize, <laughs> but the point being, all of these points are the reason why I was drawn to it and why I delved into it. That's the point. Yeah. I'm trying to make apologies for, for, for stealing people's thunder early on. That's it. So there you go. I'm not saying anymore. When did you play it? Sorry. Oh, soon after <laughs> release. Soon after release. Soon after release. Okay. Uh, okay. Um, all right, yeah, I bought it soon after release based on the wave of, yeah, I wouldn't say hype, but solid reviews and good word of mouth and then promptly didn't play it. And then, of course, it turned <laughs> up on Game Pass and uh. I just played it for the show. In the, It's traditional, but, yeah, you know, at least fine. I know when it, when, it, when it leaves Game Pass, if it leaves Game Pass, I will still have the game in my digital library. Uh, so I played it. Uh, just over the last few weeks, mainly, I think I did dip in at some point just to have a look at the opening to see if it, if the uh, the aesthetic and whatever captured my uh, imagination. And um, yeah, I was I was suitably intrigued. Uh, but yeah, I've ended up playing it for fifteen hours, and my game completion thingy says ninety percent. So I would still have. I don't know if it would take it all the way up to 27 hours, as you said, Tony, but I can imagine that the last 10% would be the percent percentage that would take the longest because always, it would involve <laughs> seeking out the all the plant seeds and various other trinkets and yeah, things like shrines, that. So, trinkets out. So I yeah. didn't have time to do that for this uh, recording, but yeah, I've obviously seen the end and I am aware of the true ending. Um, which is actually really interesting and obviously we'll get into it. So who are Acid Nerve? Well, they are uh, uh, almost uh, a two-person team, although obviously they had some help with certain facets, but they are uh, based out of Manchester, UK, working in... Uh, this game is in the Unity engine. Devolver published it for them. And the two key names are David Fenn, who is uh, the producer, a designer... Uh, he also uh, composed the soundtrack. And in fact, that's where his previous credits uh, stand out compared to Mark Foster, who's the other person, because uh, he'd actually done the soundtrack for Moonlighter and a few other uh, bits and bobs as well of, of sound design work. Mark Foster is a co-designer, programmer, uh, does some of the animation as well, story and writing also. Uh, and they had some uh, help with... Uh, Art direction from Fritz Olsen, along with the UI and the logo and the concept art, and also Sarah Morris helped as well. And uh, yeah, so it really, it's a pretty small team, and this is only their second game, as we say, after Titan Souls. It was released initially, as Tony said, on PC and the Xbox Ones and Xbox Series, somewhat enhanced. I don't know exactly what that entails. Maybe higher resolution. I think resolution, it was 4K. Yeah, it looks really times. crisp. So. Yeah, yeah. Uh, July 20th, 2021, and then arrived on Switch and PS4 and PS5 
November 23rd, 2021. First correspondent for this show is our old friend Alex79 from the forum who says, I initially started this on Xbox Game Pass, but after an hour or so I lost interest as it's the sort of game I prefer to play handheld. So when I saw it at half price on Switch over Christmas, I instantly snapped it up. And I'm glad I did because it's a cracker. Looks great, has some nice music and the controls are perfect for guiding your crow around the world. I enjoyed exploring the different areas and the combat was just as fun. I'll highlight my only two slight criticisms and they are slight. Firstly, I could have done with more of it. It was all over too soon. And while the game can be extended by finding all of the hidden secrets, I'd have loved a couple more areas and bosses to fight. And the bosses are my second criticism. As great as they looked and as fun as they were to fight, they were just too easy, right up until the final Lord of Doors, which took me more attempts than every other boss in the game combined. If we get a sequel, I'd love to see the world expanded upon with just a bit more challenge to it. But minor quibbles aside, I enjoyed this game and hope we see more of this world in the future. There was a forum response <laughs> to Alex's post from Angry Kurt, who said, Easy bosses? I thought this was one of the hardest games I've ever played. So... Obviously, we'll get into that. It always shows uh, you, isn't it? There's always two ends. Yeah. Of Difficulty is subjective, as uh, as an article by Mikhail, uh on our forum, I think, is still there. Yeah. Um, and obviously, it's also going to depend at yeah what, what else you've done when you tackle these bosses in terms of pimping yourself out. Anyway, more of which to come. Reviews were really positive. It has an open critic average rating of 88% and was recommended by 98% of the 136 critics who reviewed it. User reviews, interestingly, I would say aren't quite as glowing overall. They're really solid and very decent, but it's not quite in that beloved kind of high eights, nines sort of territory. Has a very positive on Steam from 12,000 people, which is obviously great. Nintendo Life, an 8.1 from 96 on Push Square, the PlayStation site, 7.9 from 119. And I'm not sure how much kind of credence we can put into the pure Xbox version, but I thought I'd include it to have all three platforms. Uh, but yeah, only 7.3 out of 10. But that is only from four people <laughs> who have registered a score. So perhaps one of them really didn't like it. Maybe the rest of them did. Busker Lily from our forum says this is one of those games which Dave Turner's of the Computer Game Show podcast banged on about. I thought could never be possibly as good as he said, but then infuriatingly agreed with him. <laughs> Packed with charm and with combat action that feels so good to go back to and give one more try. This was a delight from start to finish. I'd also say that it got the length and linearity just right to feel like an adventure while never being overwhelming. It was a Goldilocks game. Just right. Uh, scenario and story so yeah this is secretly actually a kind of sequel to titan souls according to the creators in that it's set to all intents and purposes in the same world with some locations actually sharing the same space does this did this actually i think it really only really reveals itself to be a follow-up or set in the same world as titan souls in the very very last knockings so i don't know uh, Sean, were you aware of this and, or did you clock it at any stage that this was a Titan Souls successor? No, I think I must have completely, it uh, just must have gone completely over my head. And we're playing the two games and 
I think I'm remembering this correctly. Titan Souls is a top-down, but it doesn't play from that isometric mm-hmm. type angle, and it does look no, a little bit no, different no. in the graphics. Um, yeah, this this was that was a little more blocky, whereas this was a little little yeah. more hand-drawn. So I didn't kind of make that connection between the two wells just mm. because of the the different aesthetic between the two. But um, like looking kind of with the notes that you sent through and having a bit of a read on that, I did have a look at the connections and there's some quite clever ways in, in how they've kind of connected the two worlds. But unfortunately it just uh, it probably was a while before, a while back that I played Titan Souls. So it wasn't fresh enough in my mind yeah. to quite the, uh, make those connections, but I did. I did yeah, it's not overt. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's not very subtle. So just to, just to jump on a thing that doesn't really fit in anywhere in the show notes here is, I think we've all become a little bit blasé about games that are just made by a couple of people because I think you know that's more of mm. a you know it's not a trope in the industry but you know there it's amazing what a few people can achieve but I have to mm. say certainly with Death Store this was one of those ones until I was told and I didn't necessarily know the backstory of who had made it until I was told that you know this was just mm. made by a couple of guys in the art team that's like I just it felt in such an impolished experience that you from the outside mm. you wouldn't know that this is a couple of guys you know yeah. doing the music you know the animations the graphics yeah and well I, there's certainly art that's been outsourced but it just that mm. uh, you know not spoil but it's so tight in so many areas that it, it feels yeah. like a bigger production and i you know it having almost like that kind of sponsorship from xbox like that you know bringing it in it, it feels mm. like a bigger title then you know, kind of just looking in from the outside now and going, God, it was just a couple of guys yeah. and uh, you know a, a team of outsourced people coming in and helping. It's incredible what people can achieve now, given the resources yeah. and time. I'd, I'd managed to completely avoid knowing anything about who made this game in the two years since release until I started playing it and putting this show together. I didn't know it was British. I, it could have <laughs> yeah. been from anywhere, really. Um, and I certainly didn't know it was such a small team. And yeah, I was surprised. Um, yeah, hats off to them and all that. Uh, so yeah, let's talk about the the scenario and the story and the setting, such as it is, because it's kind of it's sort of surrealistic or fantastical in the fact that you play a bird which is un- unusual not it's not the only game in which you've played a bird i mean <laughs> there have been plenty actually thinking about it but um i guess to play a bird in this kind of game in a kind of yeah a, a combat heavy action adventure sort of scenario uh seems on the surface like an odd choice i suppose wielding a, a big sword or an umbrella depending Uh, The Steam blurb has it that reaping souls of the dead and punching a clock might get monotonous, but it's honest work for a crow. The job gets lively when your assigned soul is stolen from you and you must track down a desperate thief to a realm untouched by death where creatures grow far past their expiry. So I sort of I liked the setting as in I, I, I was intrigued by this, you know, this clock punching soul reaping world but i never i've got to admit i never really got uh, and perhaps again this comes down to the the secret final ending despite the writing being solid throughout uh, there's no acting in this game it's all it's all written and and all that kind of thing i had a a really nice kind of warm sense of a place but i didn't really have a strong sense of what the game was saying beyond the sort of the old buddhist tenet of all is impermanent you know life life ends and sh- and cannot and should not go on forever but 
I I fear that I was missing out on something more touching and and human that maybe just bypassed me for whatever reason. Did anyone? Did any of you get kind of more from it? I'm like you, Leon. I think the um, the sense of um, judgment I've got seems to me everyone's sort of like racked with remorse. Uh, certainly, certainly some of the, the lords of doors who had mm. a long life, but then you know eventually had to you know pass on the mantle to someone else, much to their regret. And they always, when you encountered their spirits in these tombs, they would expound on their what they were trying to achieve for the greater good, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Mm. But I think you're right. It's um it's more about the 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 um embracing of change how why that's important that's what i got from it i think the game kind of says some there's some pretty heavy themes i think whenever you're kind of talking mm. around death and and life being a, a yeah. permanent kind of thing there's there's that heaviness but the whole to, to me i never felt too um like that that can be a theme that can make me feel a little a little anxious uh sometimes uh whether it's in games or movies or, or anything like that but yeah the way that they Literally. offset it here, they they offset everything with a light a light undertone, uh, a, a humour mm-hmm. and a cheeky wink. I think of I th- and when you mentioned before that you you weren't aware that this was a British game, I'm sure like mm. with with you guys, once I'd played it for probably fifteen to twenty minutes, I felt a very I felt the writing was very British. That kind of humour and, <laughs> and that undertone, I, I I kind of felt that, and I thought that that was a very nice way of. Um, of kind of having a bit of bit a bit of light there to play off against the dark themes. Mm. Tony, you said that the 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 secret extra ending gives more context. Did did it actually serve to make you feel anything deeper about the narrative? Yeah, well, the the extra ending is more about how just the the whole kind of world comes together and how the the door system is so important. What's beyond um, the kind mm. of final chapter you see, which is it just gives more flavor context. But I mean. Right. I mean, I don't disagree, and I and I think, although the narrative is, I would say it's strong because it's not just something you know. I'm trying to compare it to other games without being just like completely something like when I played where Hyperlight Drifter, where like there was a narrative there, but it was kind of like really. I don't know there is some, but it's pretty vague in its in its presentation. Here, like I I think you know the concepts are fairly simple, um, and what it does well I, to it's. It does have a sense of humour to it, but not over, like too overt yeah. sense of humour. Yeah, those characters there. No, but I, there's there's a couple of scenes where I think it really it it does bring it back home what you're achieving. So the main goal is to kind of taking down these I think it's four souls, isn't it? Four, but these larger souls that are refused to die and have found ways to prevent life from taking you know their death to be taken. And mm. there's there's some really touching moments in in those ones where you take down these bosses, eventually take down these bosses, and normally that would be a time to rejoice and splendor at their their glorious death so you can continue your journey and actually yeah. all the characters on the screen take a moment and almost Morning. you know yeah. say a, a moment of prayer and although you know eulogy. these people yeah, yeah eulogy of these this person clearly has cursed me to have a pot in my head for eternity but mm. you know that doesn't mean that they don't deserve their moment um uh, of a farewell goodbye and so you've got these juxtapositions of fairly you know humorous a man on a, a pot on his head called Pothead against actually mm-hmm. like a, a, a eulogy being read out for even though he's cursed to it. 
Um, and yeah. that overarching idea of you know souls being reaped and even death himself being locked away and then basically given a, a life of isolation for for decades um, because he was tricked into do so. Yeah, there, there's there's a flavor context there, but I I yeah. don't think it's the reason to put you know the reason to come into this game and play it. I think it's a it's a good flavored background. But yeah, I, it's more I like a thematic, yeah. a thematic backdrop rather than a a plot where you're following the you know plot point A to plot point B. There, there, that is there, but it's perhaps yeah less important. The creators themselves said um, that they wanted to make sure that there weren't any just outright downright evil bosses. Like they all had reasons for fighting the fight they were fighting. Mark FM 007 from our forum said, I like the world of Death's Door. It reminded me of Terry Pratchett, a reassuring mix of fantastical creatures and down-to-earth characters mixed with corporate, corporate bureaucracy and social commentary, all with a great sense of humour. I always look forward to going back to it and exploring its nicely crafted isometric maps, learning the history of each Lord of Doors, discovering death and the gorgeous fight with the Grey Crow were highlights for me. Yeah, the the thing I find odd about uh, the character that you play is that uh, though uh, mute and um, yeah, wordless and yeah, it doesn't even make any noises actually, apart from when he's eating. Uh, I say he, I think, I don't know if it's genders ever specified. Um, weirdly, despite being all, uh, despite all that and having kind of hollow pupilless eyes, I actually still managed to. Th- think they managed to make it quite endearing mm-hmm. and and cute is it it must be purely through animation or the fact that it's this little feathered thing carting this giant sword around a lot of the time um going up against the odds i i'm not sure what witchcraft is at play there to to make this yeah this potentially sinister and rather grim character actually rather cute I think potentially it's the it's that he's going up against some big some big things in a small world as well. He's small in that world, and he's locomotion when he's dragging that big sword. He does kind of bob bob from side to side, and I think with ha- with having the the sword or whichever whichever weapon you choose, it does really yeah. give. We're probably jumping a little bit too too far forward here, but it does give a lot of weight to the movement and the combat. You do really feel mm. like he's swinging something heavy around. He's not kind of. You know, like limp, uh, like Link, nimbly. Uh, you know, with the sword, he's every swing has weight. So you need to make sure that when you hit that button, you really want to have something in front of you because it takes you a little while to to kind of recover again. So, yeah, I think that uh, the way that the locomotion and the way that the crow moves around is um is just a fun way of getting around the game. Uh, I think it helps as well that you meet the kind of the old crow fairly early in the game and you get to see yourself as this tiny little kind of almost like hatchling crow that's, yeah. that's new yeah. fresh you know fresh around the wings hasn't hasn't done the journey yet and it's been taking the souls of just you know easy targets and suddenly you're you're given the 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 hardest job in all which is to take down you know the major souls of these big targets that you know even even the big old crow couldn't really challenge himself. So, like, it feels like, yeah, no, you're you're new, wet around the the feathers, and and ready to take down, <laughs> take down the world. Um, but it's yeah, it's yeah, it probably is the the animation that, and then, not mm. that there's cutscenes per se, but you know, some of the in-game, the more kind of in-game close-up cutscenes, you know, they definitely sell it as more of a kind of as a not a cheeky wink, but you know, there's a there's a naivety about him that comes across, which is. Yeah, pretty hard to do for a, a crow. 
just um, building on that, there's also the interactions he has with his fellow office workers or fellow fellow reapers and the bureaucrats and how they're just basically yeah. badgering him. And it's like, you know, he's the, he's the new guy. He's the basically the intern as far as they're concerned. Stick to your oh, job. You, you, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do, do, do what you're told. Do your thing. Make sure. And then, the, uh, in fact, the, one, the only one that actually gives him any time is the person who gives him the upgrades and you know, a more powerful call. But, um, is that like, Darwin? Yes, Darwin. He's, uh, he's, much, he's, yeah. he's quite nice to him. But everyone else is just like, why are you giving me all this work? What's with all these wooden spirits? What have you done? You know, it's uh, it, that's I think all of these parts, all these components, lead to you being quite sympathetic and uh, finding the code to be very mm. endearing, as you say. Yeah. So the the overarching story just gets me that you 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 had your soul reap. Well, you can when you reap souls, that's what allows you. You have to, what's it? You have to basically reap a soul, and then for that soul to be collected for your mission essentially to be complete and he reaps a soul, but it gets taken away from him. So his mission can't yeah. be completed. Hence why he has to come across and take down these, uh, these rather large bosses in an attempt to open a door, the death's door, the big door. Mm. Um, so there is reason for your task rather than just going about and trying to prove yourself. It's like, no, I want to, I want to ascend. Like I don't want to be stuck here for the rest of my life. Yeah, and I think it's significant that all three of the bosses, as you said, not only in terms of narrative, they're actually all quite endearing. Again, mm. they've got a cuteness to them. Obviously, they go crazy and they attack you and you have to have these, you know, pad-clutching, sweaty fights with them. But their their animation and their faces, you know, they're, they're, they're quite warm-looking warm characters. Yeah, they've definitely all got their own personality. The bosses are like that they're um that they're they're very different between the between the three. You got a frog and a granny and uh and, and a yeti. Uh, well, and a yeti. You actually you start off I'd I'd forgotten about this because it was so long ago I did the opening of the game, but you start off by fighting a kind of walking castle for some reason. You do, yes. Yeah, it's very uh, Castlevania yeah. that one. It's uh, I think the walking castle <laughs> and also that uh I think it's a tree a tree spirit, demonic tree spirits mm -hmm. or something at the start of the game. Mm. I think they both do a really good job at serving as tutorials for for early on, just yeah. telling you don't try to don't try to get too many hits in is that first one. As soon as you're trying to hit three times with the combo it uh, it would always seem to attack you. So it's they do a really good job of just kind of giving you an idea of what's uh, what's what's going to be challenging you with in terms of combat as it goes through so that so the, the walking castle in particular right, that you jogged my mind that i saw uh somebody play i just like a twitter clip or something and that was the thing that essentially made me want to go and buy the game because it was like that from a visual oh, standpoint really? of view is hmm. spectacular i've not seen something like that right that was just wow and then i remember that first experience getting there and then dying like three or four times and going Oh, mm. okay. So yes, there's there's mechanics here. I need to to learn, and then there's nothing like the rest of that castle for the rest of the game. <laughs> like it's a really individual looking thing, and then it doesn't like that's not the the direction they actually take. It just teaches you to all. dodge roll, I yeah. suppose. Yeah. No, but as it, much they, as anything, they just really. don't take that visual direction at all. It goes yeah. more kind of I don't know, no humanoid. They said that. <laughs> they said that, and they, they, they in that in that no clip documentary that essentially it was one of the concept artists came up with it, and they went, "That's awesome. We're going to use it." And then the only the, yeah. the only well the only way in which they did sort of incorporate it is that 
if you notice lots of the castle's turrets are kind of stuck into the landscape and things like that so there is a sort of visual continuity to it so it wasn't just this complete <laughs> aberration but uh yeah it's a curious one and yes as i say as cool as it is i'd forgotten all about mm. it um and there, there is some definitely some charm and whimsy in there as you say like it's um there's a slight air of melancholy as you'd expect where the theme is death but there is some some real warmth and humanity there's there's barb the bard who sings your song uh which is um yeah almost like something out of uh yeah a more a kind of more overtly whimsical game it's not a great song and, either you know. <laughs> oh i like it i like it um and i think my my favorite kind of comedy moment is uh is is jefferson the squid who is uh who is masquerading as a as a dead uh barman um but then when you get into the post game and and day becomes night or you make day into night uh you actually go and uh, go for a wander with jefferson the squid strapped to your back and every time you roll it he goes and uh and there's all the and he kind of does a commentary as you as you make your way across the map to the place that he's telling you to go to find the secret, and uh, that was it was like Octodad or something. It was, uh, <laughs> it was like a very different experience. Yeah, I did like Jefferson a lot. He was quite funny. Loved his little tips that he gave you as well. Have you tried going there? That's fun. And, uh, yeah, I yes, it's the it. closest thing the game has to a a, a guide. Yeah, uh, yeah, in in many ways. I would say you've also got Pothead. Uh, yeah, great yeah. pun. But um, he he's got a bowl of soup as a head uh, because he was cursed yep. to do so. And there's a great moment. You're sat on a bench, and he grabs a spoon out, takes a a, a scoop out of his head, and says, "Would you like to try some?" <laughs> it's like, um, <laughs> no, no, I'm good. Thank. I think you can actually answer. No, I'm good. Yeah, yes or no? Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> uh, no, I'm cool. Thanks. And talking about the the game humour, I think it would be remiss if we didn't mention the the clip of the game which went viral uh, on social media, like the day the game came out, or maybe even just before because a reviewer found it or something. But it's the little gag where, in a traditional, I think uh, I think Ocarina of Time was the first one I can remember, but it doesn't necessarily mean it was the first ever a game of this type where you could slice signposts up. But in this case, uh, if you slice a sign in half and then click on it. The text is still there, but it's sliced in half horizontally. Um, and there was a there was a tweet with that going around, and apparently uh, they said that that tweet had way more attention, clicks, views than <laughs> any of their official trailers or anything like that. And they reckon it probably contributed to the game selling, just because it's like a yeah, this is this game is a labor of love, and here's a here's a good little example of something where they thought that's an interesting, funny idea we can. Two weeks of programming. Yeah, who knows? Yeah, because it even zigzags. It's not like neatly cut across the half. It's actually got like steps in it as if it's been chopped. Yes, I bet. Which is well, cool. I'd say that because it's not a large team, but you know, in a scenario that somebody would argue for that, and they, that's just ridiculous waste of resources yeah. goes in, and then it goes yeah. viral, and they're like, "Told you." <laughs> it's the beauty of uh, independent development, mm. isn't it? You can, if you come up with something, and you, the two of you agree on it, you go, "Yep, yeah, that's going in." And if it takes us another two weeks, then so be it. Yeah. The power of a single tweet selling $6 million worth of copies of a game. Yeah, maybe it wasn't responsible for all of them, but who knows? <laughs> Mr. Ixalite from the forum says, an area where the game never quite came together for Mr. Ixalite was the story. I felt the game was desperately lacking in setup to make its later narrative beats have weight. 
We're told the mortal realm is somehow, quote, out of balance and needs to be saved. But since I have no real reference for how the world is, quote, supposed to be in the first place and my avatar is mute, I just have to take the game's word for it. There's some sort of conspiracy going on and the crows are maybe mistreated and rebel, but I never fully understood the how or the why of either. The various world building ideas also felt sometimes contradictory. We're told that being out in the field renders a crow mortal. But then again, death doesn't exist for creatures in the field such as Grey Crow and so on. To me, it felt like a game that had prioritised having a lot of capital L lore where a more straightforward narrative would have fit better especially since the writing for the cartoony characters is often quite good and accepting the inevitability of death is a fine theme to have as your narrative backbone. That's kind of exactly echoes my Pretty much. feelings. <laughs> yeah, it, and I, I don't mean it. Yeah, it's not like a huge negative point or anything. It's certainly not ruinous. It's just that there was, yeah, again, to reiterate, that sense of a cool scenario, but a story that doesn't perhaps explain itself or give a strong sense of the yeah what the what the subtext really is or well frustratingly it does but that's only if you bother, say bother if you push it further because that last 10 seconds there's a whole stream of narrative that explains why you're doing what you're doing turns out mm, you're being manipulated mm. by the force known as the truth which is you know only hinted at towards the last maybe tenth of the game and it's frustrating that they encapsulated all the purpose and context mm. to that one bit if you actually pursued it um but is that actually is that is that actually uh more than just more law with a capital l or does that actually tell you something more about what the creators are trying to tell us about our existence as human beings ah well this is more given a purpose for the for the, for the Reaper itself um, and why it was doing what it was doing, which is ultimately to free the truth. Right. That's what it was doing. It was being, it was being manipulated by it through the free crows. The, the free crows were being told, and that's the whole reason why. Uh, whether it actually has um, a, a, a commentary on the, the human existence, mm. that I couldn't say. <laughs> but, it certainly, okay. but, it, but it certainly gives a purpose to the Reaper anyway. I need to do the last ten percent to find out if it. Right, so just, if it you, you can just. But I'm sure you know, plenty you know. <laughs> of people. That's that's true. Uh, maybe I want the achievement, but um, I'm sure for plenty of people it, it will have spoken to them. Let's talk about the art a little bit, uh, the visuals. So yeah, it's uh, it's at an angle. If you're uh, if you're a veteran of the gaming scene, you it might bring to mind the old uh, Ultimate before they were rare. Play the game, kind of isometric 3d adventures obviously there are more contemporary games of of that style um how would you describe the actual kind of look of the game the art style the aesthetic so i, I think it's i think it's gloomy i think it's melancholy and um the feel mm -hmm. like i mentioned before the feel of moving about in that world it's very it's animated in a really kind of smooth way and um it's it's quite uh, I, I got vibes of kind of Studio Ghibli with the with the art style and especially the way that the characters are yeah. kind of designed with the with the kind of small small hands, small feet, but the big bodies and and mm. I really I really enjoyed that art style. I thought it worked really well. The way they use light and shade and shadow in the game is is very cool. Yeah, 
uh, they even the way that they hide uh, secret kind of secret areas and things like that where you can walk to a certain area and the perspective will will change and shift and the lighting will shift and you see a new part of the uh, of the stage which That's always right. makes yeah. you feel clever and just scratches a little a very specific um, very satisfying part of my brain that that always it always scratches that itch so yeah got those studio ghibli vibes and also mm. uh, not not really the same in tone but i got a lot of toy story vibes as well just because of the uh the mm. doors everywhere uh not not oh, toy okay. story sorry what's the i'm saying the wrong the wrong film there the uh oh, monsters, monsters inc. inc yeah that's right with the doors <laughs> like, and the creatures I get the and toy story. like that does and had monsters inc with all the just all the doors got being it. around everywhere i, I kind of that's kept a good yeah, thing yeah, back to that yeah, yeah. They did. Uh, the creators do mention uh, Howl's Moving Castle, yeah, as a, as an influence of the Ghibli version. See that. So, I see that. Uh, yeah, yeah. One thing I, I I really really dug about the way that the environment presents itself is it it feels quite three D, even though obviously you you don't have a huge amount of movement within that three D space. So it, it feels like there's layers to the world. Yeah, um, you know, you could be on a lower level feel like yeah. it's quite close to you the screen down but um yeah. at the same time it, it it's almost has that kind of vrs-ness where you know that there's layers above you you know it, it's nicely structured and um you know the game has um metroidvania elements to it about areas Absolutely. you can and can't get to and it sells yeah. those very well of like well you know how the hell do I get over this gap? Clearly, there's a hook there. At some point, I am going to have the ability yeah. to get over there. Um, but it's it's also I found the worlds to be relatively self-contained areas that weren't too big. That you could once you got the requirements to explore these worlds, come back and remember points. Like there's there's some real touchstones in each individual area. Like oh, there's a town here. Or these are the main area of the spires, which means I need to go across the right there. So I think it, it from a you know, from a visual design, it's it's really strong and holds together. Um, but equally, it has these little flourishes that you don't always see in these types of games, which is um, you know as you run through leaves, the leaves kind of fluff up around you. As you're yeah. going through snow, you have a real sense of traping through that environment or. There's almost Breath of the Wild style wisps yeah, of wind. Yeah, the wind, kind of the wind actually has like an effect on you as a character moving through. And I thought, yeah, I think my favourite location was probably the ceramic mansion with its kind of hearths and you know, fires illuminating the gloom mm -hmm. and things like that. But uh, I would say that, like, I thought it was a really nice looking game, like nice throughout. But there were there were there were there wasn't any point where I was like actually kind of stunned like jaw dropped like wow this room's amazing or or anything like that so it was all it for me it was all very very pleasant and really nicely done and very like visually communicative there was there's you know lack of confusion or anything like that but um but yeah i was i thought you know maybe maybe just one room where i went wow <laughs> there wasn't no, but there, there wasn't quite one of there them. is i think she'll mention it before you i think it might be in the mansion where you traipse into a room and you're like clearly there must be a way and i'd looked like 10 minutes just going i don't know how to get out of this room and then you realize that there's reflections in the actual floor that show that there's a, yeah, a door cool. beyond and you, you yeah. can't see it because of the view but you can see it because of the reflections on the floor and that was like that's just really clever game design that there were some quite miyamoto-esque touches uh or classic nintendo of, of, of that nature 
kind of yeah little visual clues yeah, and to there being secrets um just seeing yeah some of those visual puzzles are very good very clever and seeing like little areas of woodland that you've traipsed up ladders that are clearly surrounded on not being able to get down and just like and eventually you end up with a bomb and, and then realize actually you know there's a crack yeah. in the wall there that i can go now that is nothing new of course that's like absolutely part of the game design but it's done it's done really solidly like it doesn't outstay its welcome and quite often once you notice those gaps in the hedge it's like oh yeah how did i not yeah <laughs> how did i did I didn't even know until I guess about maybe ten hours into the game that maybe more that you could uh, slam those s- sewer lids and do some Super Mario Sunshine style yes. okay. going Below. under the level stuff. Yeah, yeah. Do, it never that tells was you. One does of the it? things I didn't notice. No, it no. doesn't. That's something you kind of because you have to do a plunge attack in order to open That's those. It. And I don't think the game actually, actually ever tells you no. that you can do a plunge no. attack. It kind of just expects you to work to to work yeah, that puzzle out. It out. Um, yeah. Play. Yeah, and because you can't jump, you don't have that many uh, kind of areas where you can do it. You That's kind of it. have to do it going into a combat arena where you're changing um, where you're changing uh, the level That's of where it. you are. Yeah. Designer Matt from our forum says Death Door was one of my favourite discoveries last year. To my shame, I've never played a Zelda game, but after watching a no-clip documentary on the team behind this and liking the art style, I decided to give it a try. It's gorgeous, beautifully designed environments, animations, and characters and a great sense of humour in the cutscenes too. This is also one of the few times my partner has taken an interest in a game and sat on the sofa next to me to watch, so that's saying something. Some of the later bosses got pretty tough, but I wanted to push on and see everything that this delightful game had to offer. So I persevered. If I can beat Bloodborne, I can beat this. I finally finished it after a couple of weeks, where I looked forward to playing it every evening. Just lovely. Tony, you mentioned the sound there. Were you referring uh, to the the ambient audio or the music, the soundtrack? Which where should we start? Ooh, let's go with the soundtrack to start with. Actually, I think it's really strong. I think it. Um, mm. As I said uh, right at the start of this, I think this game projects higher production values than necessarily what its its team uh, its makeup of its team. Um, it the soundtrack really varies between tone and music so for me like there's elements of final fantasy um kind of the more kind of orchestral kind of big like like when you're up against um bosses and Mm -hmm. there's a sense of urgency that comes from that soundtrack that even though you could actually if you so wish stay in some of these fights for two hours if you wish uh, and not achieve anything (laughs) Like the soundtrack would still be going, you need to finish this now really quickly, quickly, quickly. And like that, that it does get into you like that's all like, OK, this is a challenging moment and I need to see this through. And like there's a thousand games that do that, but this just does it really, really well. And like the songs are really kind of catchy and memorable. And yet it knows when to kind of like bring it down, be it the menu music, which is a, a really fantastic piece, which I'm sure Jay would have played at the start of this. Um hopefully jay we'll see (laughs) but um (laughs) uh, to each individual area having its own set of you know soundtrack that doesn't doesn't get in the way of enjoying the game because sometimes they can because you will hear it over and over again but yeah i just think it's a really nicely Mm. put together and you know it it does convey a sense of place as well as urgency when it needs to chris i found one of the most informative aspects of the audio design is when you got hit. I love the fact that the sound suddenly got muffled 
and oh, everything yeah. kind of slowed yeah. down and go and although in between me yelling just move or what am i thinking <laughs> you know it's always my fault by the way when i did get hit of course but that i just love that because it basically said mm. all right you want to slow down now you're going to think because i'm giving you this like the slowing everything down for you right now so you can say right you're in trouble fix this because otherwise you're gonna going to croak mm. and i just love that when they muffled the sound as well they didn't have to but they did it was very i found no the, the, yeah. the actual very informative good point yeah yeah that works really well it makes you feel each time you get hit as well it makes you feel quite bad you're like oh i don't want that to happen again it yeah. kind of reminds <laughs> you that you need to that your def defense and the way that you can move in this game is just as important as uh, as how many attacks you can get in that window as well yeah, I think it's uh I think it's uh I mean it's a game design aspect as well, but it was striking to me that there's no uh although obviously Zelda is a big influence, there's no half or quarter hits in this game. If you get hit, you've taken a hit and by default you only have four hits that you can survive. Mm -hmm. And you can only max that out to six. So any hit is a big hit and in fact some of the uh, some of the combat scenarios you can take three you don't have a huge amount of invincibility after you've been hit and it can all go very wrong very quickly so um yeah i guess it was just really important for them to uh, make sure that players knew they were being hit because yeah it's uh, chris makes a good point sometimes games aren't always that clear about when you've taken damage and that's uh, that's not good on behalf of the player um for me, uh, I really, as well as, yeah, acknowledging some of those nice touches and things like the, yeah, like the the sound effects, they they all kind of fit. They they felt appropriate to me um, and, and kind of meshed nicely with the visual design. But yeah, some of the music really grew on me as I, as I played this more and more. Um, I think some of the area pieces are, are absolutely delightful and really kind of melancholic but without being, you know, kind of maudlin, just a really, yeah, lovely lilting soundtrack to exploring these these areas. Um, yeah, I, I'm a fan. Impressed. I've been. Uh, I listened to it outside of the game as well um, this week. Yeah, just to kind of, totally and, it, and it really works. It's one of those ones that you can. Yeah, these are just really good pieces of music. And once again, I will have to reflect back to the notes. Who was the composer? Because it's one of the the two. Yeah, it's David Fenner. Yeah, D so it's, David. Yeah, it's yeah. just yeah. like, is there no end to his ability? Yeah. <laughs> Disgustingly talented people. Just produce the yeah. game and you know, program. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, yeah, incredible. Yeah, another one. I wasn't... Uh I wasn't surprised to hear when Leon mentioned at the start of the podcast that he'd had some credits in um, in sound design and and soundtrack before yeah. because for me for me it stands out. I think throughout the game it's really strong and a particular favourite for mine is uh, that where you fight the frog. He's got quite a mm. he's got quite a jaunty little song and every time he pops out of the wall to come and uh, talk mm. to you on your way through through the dungeon, his uh, his song kind of mutes and and mm. um, it's it's really cool. I, I did enjoy that one a lot. Nice. Yeah. Uh, the and just to, to carry on with Chris's point, the the key components of feedback to the player, be it this is a weird one. There's a there's a slight shuffle to the roll sound to your dodge sound, mm. which once again you mm -hmm. you obviously know you're dodging, but it it just it qualifies that feedback of I've just dodged. There's you know definite yeah. hits. I have managed to land a hit. To I haven't managed right. to handle it hit. Um, and a combination of all those things then play very much into gameplay because. 
at times it can get phonetic and you're almost mm. going by the, the visual and sound design to help you progress through those yeah. things with you know and as well as what's going on around you because there's there's quite often attacks that are happening from distance so if you hear a mage you know fire fireball or whatever they're mage they're mage balls balls of magic at you <laughs> you can hear those come out yeah. long before they actually reach you as a player so you're actually aware of a sort oh, of God. vocal yeah. cry yeah so the like Aye. the environment's happening around you that you know okay i mm. need to be aware of x y and z yeah yeah really thoughtful stuff and that does bring us nicely into more talk of the the controls the gameplay uh, mark fm 007 again from our forum says the game controls brilliantly and i love the agility and quick feet of our crow i did an umbrella only run which was a decent challenge and for some reason really suited the crow carrying this dark umbrella the combat doesn't evolve too much and i found it becoming a bit repetitive and dull after a while the yeti and final boss fights seem to drag on dodging the same moves again and again possibly a downside of using the umbrella I think one or two more tools or strategies could go a long way, though. Overall, I had a good time with the game, despite a few weaknesses, and I'd love to see what this studio moves on to. You do. You must have done the umbrella only as well, then, Tony. I did. Yes. Crikey! Because <laughs> I I was delighted when I uh, I without without use of a guide. I'm not saying I'm brilliant or anything, but <laughs> I was quite happy to find the greatsword without looking it up, and. Uh, and I never used anything else after yeah, that, pretty much. So I don't know what the stats per se, just straight off my head, are. But essentially, you start off with a sword of one hit point. Uh, yes. And the umbrella has 0. 0.5. <laughs> yeah. So right. you're, Two hits you're required. weaker yeah. than your starting sword. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Now, what is... We probably should... I mean, I can elaborate a bit more on this actually as we talk about the gameplay because it will make more sense once we're into the, the gameplay and how how it pro progresses and we'll come back to this because it is Just go where you want to go let's dive into it all <laughs> dive into it all. right um so basics of the gameplay the basics so i've i've heard good and bad things that were opinion pieces about how the gameplay plays out itself okay um yeah personally me i i like it and i like it because of its simplicity now if i do a touchstone of something that is really familiar to me to what this game is a bit like, which is Hyperlight Drifter. Now, obviously, if you've never played yeah. that, that would make no sense in this conversation. You've... But let me just explain yeah. <laughs> what Hyperlight Drifter is. It's very similar to this game, but they throw everything yeah. in the kickstitch sink at you. And there is a lot of dodging, rolling, moving, but you have to be really aggressive because everything's attacking you. Now, if I think of a modern day mm. example, Vampire Survivors or something like that, where essentially you're trying to take down <laughs> the whole of thing coming at you very far. This, to me, is the opposite end of that. This is, you are, and this is where I guess it gets its Dark Souls-esque kind of cl clony type thing, Monica, is that you have to wait many times for the, the thing that you are trying to attack to make its move. Obviously, in bigger bosses, it's more telegraphed. It's very much one, two, three, bang, might do a double hit. You can then go in, hit. But it actually still bleeds down to a lot of the smaller characters where... They they will come and hit you, but you have enough time to dodge roll, come back, couple of hits. Now it depends how many time, how bigger they are, to what their energy pool is. But the general gameplay loop doesn't change from the very start of the game to the very end of the game. Mm. And that gameplay loop is go in, hit, dodge roll, go in, hit, dodge roll, manage the crowd around you. They add elements such as be it mages firing their mage balls at you 
at a slower pace, but that might be in the way. Or in a scenario, quite often happens, you have almost these like little kill rooms areas that you go into. There'll be a bigger mini boss that takes a lot more hits and a lot of ads around it. And you have to work out whether you want to be hit by the big boss, the big mini boss, and take a lot of damage. Mm-hmm. Although everything is one hit damage, I suppose, but he's more likely to hit you from a further distance. Or concentrate on the ads and then take that thing down one by one and it's just a little puzzle game but i i prefer this way i prefer feeling more in control of each individual encounter rather than just oh my god everything's firing at me and i need to kill everything all at once and i'm gonna go push 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 so i personally like that the game kind of sets its stall out and doesn't really differ from it all the way through you have a sword or an umbrella if you really wish to go down that but you have a power more powerful sword as you go through or some little slashy blades yes some or, little uh, fast fast hitty blades um i'm trying to think daggers yeah yes um and, yeah. Hammer. and the hammer the, the big hammer, hammer oh. that takes a long time to to charge up my, as you my would weapon expect. of choice chris's mixed blessing weapon. and then you have yeah. uh ability of range combat which is arrows fireballs etc um bomb bombs uh, and on amongst all that, you have other abilities eventually come that help you for the environment. The bonds will help you for the environment. Hookshot will help you. Actually, you can use that in combat. Uh, hookshot you helps can, you yeah. in combat. You can hook to enemies and, and jump quickly traverse the area, or you can traverse around the environment. But beyond that, I'll let you guys then cover the, the combat, and then I'll get back to you've absolutely how explained it beautifully. I think to how well I'd the like umbrella to, works. I'd like to, it was wonderfully, but there was one aspect I want to delve into if I may, which you didn't really. I relied heavily on the range combat a lot. Yes, I was agree. Oh boy, boy, did I sort of like no touchy, not the face, not the face. It's got a beautiful mechanic wondering. though, isn't it? How you get that back? It, it's oh yeah, it's when I got reads on enhanced fireball, which by the way you have to earn, listener. You really have to earn the right to this particular fireball. It does damage over time, not by default, but when you you know do kill the guardians. Yeah. And it's a bit of a my, game changer. It really, the amount of destruction I wrought by just running around and just firing these these things at them. But, but, and this is a very important mechanic, is that you, oddly, I never really figured out how this correlated with the game world, but it just, unless <laughs> you hit something, um, whether it be mushrooms or uh, pots or uh, someone else, or, yeah. Just yeah, yeah, you you then got your ranged ability back. Very mm. peculiar, but I can see why they were doing it. It's it like you can't dance around like this all the time. You're going to have to get in there. You know, it's like oh, do I have to? And I would constantly, you know, my 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 window of attack was very fleeting. I'm good. I'd leap in <laughs> just once and then leap back again, and then I'll just like hurl more more fireballs because it gave damage over time. And it's like wow, this is the best thing ever. It uh, saved a lot of. It did certainly change me, but that's that's one my way of playing that game. There's worth seeking out. Yes, yes, and you yeah. don't you know don't have to be Malay all the time. Although sometimes you really had to be. So essentially, there's a risk reward in that strategy because obviously, if you can shoot something from a distance and deal damage, fantastic. But it's a completely overpowered skill, essentially. So. It's risk reward is you may I think you can upgrade it and I think maybe it starts at three or was it four I'm not sure but you essentially have three or four shots um, and every time you hit something you get with a melee you get that shot back so you can you you can find yourself 
in a scenario where you've got one health bar, one, one, knowing that it's basically one hit will kill you, you've run out of uh, arrows or fireballs or whatever it may be, and you know that you have to engage in some sort of melee combat. So if you've relied very heavily, I mean, you can upgrade these things, but if you've, if you've spent your points quite heavily on range combat and you haven't focused so much on uh, melee combat, it can be a case of just trying to you know, dodge roll in, in, in every way, shape or form, just trying to hit a singular thing just to get a piece of range combat back to then go back to your play style. And it's, to me, that's quite a rewarding thing. Like there was many times I messed up that scenario like it, yeah, and it was like, okay, this isn't going to work with range. I need to go up here, up close and personal. And quite often you would find that there'd be combat encounters where there wasn't a specific way to do it, but there was a quicker and more effective way to do it. Be it, it maybe it would be range or be it, maybe it would be from distance and it just challenged the player. And there's a couple of like you can parry stuff. So if these mage balls or whatever it may be fired at you, firing at you, you can deflect them back. And there will be elements of like, okay, well, I need to deflect that back whilst, you know, range combat whilst also being taking these ads and here, push them over here, trying to hit those. And you've got like multiple balls being juggled at once. And the way that it deals with health is really unusual as well, which is you have a pool of health. And you can go into these combat scenarios and you can find in the world. So they're called their seeds and you can utilize these seed points that you grow, that you have to find basically a collectible. You have to find a plant and it gives you the ability to replenish your health. Or you can go back to your home world, your hub, come back in again and you've got health. But you could if you've not yet found another door to allow you to kind of have a checkpoint in that level and you know that the nearest health point is like halfway, you know, 10 minutes back in the game There's, and you're down to that single health hit. It gets quite, you get quite paranoid of like, oh God, I don't want to have to redo this. But equally, you know, I just push further and further. And I'd found myself many times in a combat scenario, know that I've got a checkpoint essentially outside that door, go in there with you know, one health point and just purposely be hit because it's like, well, that's this is not going to happen. I need to just reset myself here. Um, but you're not going to get health inside these combat arenas quite often. So what you've been given is, yeah. you know, you've got four hits you've got do it. and that's that's all you've got. Yeah. There's no replenishing halfway through this this battle. You have four hits. Yeah. And it's not quite the unusual. I don't think it's get good because i think this is a challenging game but i don't think it's one of those games where you 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 know you really hit a brick wall although there is some elements your mileage may vary towards the end there is i think it will it it will depend as you know as we heard earlier from our correspondence we had quite different experiences and i think that will depend on at which point you tackle certain combat scenarios Mm -hmm. based on how many shrines you visited and which weapon you're rocking Obviously, it does ultimately come down to your dodge rolling abilities and and yeah, your your uh, crowd management and all that kind of stuff. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I would agree. My my for me, the the whole game was a good challenge level where there were a few scenarios that I had to try two or three times. Some, I think, a couple of the bosses I did on my first attempt. A couple of them took me several, um, but. I, I'm not somebody who really enjoys attempting the same boss more than generally, and there may be exceptions, but generally more than half a dozen times or whatever. I was very pleased that, uh, for example, in the, the final fight, there is uh, there is a checkpoint before the the, yeah. the final room after this kind of... I, I accidentally 
uh, looked up, you know, it was one of those, see how much time I've got left in the game to see how much I can get done. And I looked at IGN's guide for the, for the Lord of Doors boss. And, and I certainly went phase one, phase two, phase three, <laughs> phase four, phase five. And I think it goes up to nine. And I was like, oh my God, this is going to be the worst thing I've ever played in my life. I'm not going to finish the game. It's good. But actually like, each door I, think it, is a phase. I think I did it on my third or fourth yeah. go and each, yeah, each room is a phase. And yeah, before you know it, it's, um, yeah, really very, uh, I felt it was, it was well, pretty fun. I'm only going by achievements on Xbox, but 9% of people beat the game on Xbox, which I know sounds low, but actually what I think takes entails actually playing for this game from the people that played it. That seems like, you know, a lot of people, it was manageable well, for a lot of people. Especially given as it's on Game Pass, which drops all those percentages hugely because a lot of people as i do with a lot of game pass games just fire them up sometimes even just on the cloud and have a look at them or pop on achievement and then never play them again so so that's actually really high yeah. i think well, i'm interested yeah. sean what's your favorite weapons because i mm. before we talk about the umbrella run i don't <laughs> know if i enjoyed this game more because i did something silly or whether i missed out because I didn't use all the tools required. Um, so tell me about the tools that I didn't necessarily use. Actually, I tell a lie. The, once you beat the game, you the the kind of the dark world, the Arth of Marth, I you can then just um, utilize all the other stuff. So I did actually get to use all the weapons oh, okay. and then realize what the hell I was doing, just trying to go around with one hit point weapon. But whatever. Yeah. Sure. Half a hit point. <laughs> So the one that I used most was I actually found I used the the starting weapon. So you you start off with the Reaper sword, and I used that um, until I got the the daggers, which were a little bit quicker. But then, upon doing some you know not very high level calculation, but looking through the menus, and I was kind of going, okay, it seems to me that three hits with the dagger was actually better than the kind of sorry three hits with the sword was better than the four hits with the dagger right. when you looked at the overall time and the damage output. Um, so I kind of didn't use the da daggers, kept using the sword, but one strategy that I found, once I found the larger, the thunder hammer, and then also the big reaper greatsword, I found going for three hits on most enemies was kind of pushing your luck a little yeah. bit. If you got them at the start of their animation, it might work out for you, for you but because you don't really stagger, uh, except for the very small en enemies, you don't stagger point. the larger enemies. So once you hit them twice, they can, they can interrupt your animation and they can get a solid hit on you. So... I found that a strategy for I would say ninety to ninety-five percent of the enemies in the game was get close to them but not too close with your big sword. Yep. Hit them twice yep. and then roll away. Hundred percent. And then just yeah. and just repeat. And I use that so much. Like a, I wasn't using range combat too much at the start of the game, and then I watched a playthrough where somebody was using loads of range combat and only really using the melee when they had to get in there and recharge. So. That changed that changed my playstyle a little bit, and I did start to rely a bit more on the ranged as well. So yeah, yeah, combination of the fireballs and the big sword was um, strategically what worked for for me. Yeah, I I didn't uh, until I uh, got the, uh, the 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 damage over time burning ability of the fireball. I I was using bombs quite a lot for for range because they were so much more powerful than the arrow. And also, although I did get it in the end, the uh, the powered up arrow. The fight that you have to do to get that one, I think, was the hardest yeah. for me of the four, the four power-up uh, arenas. But what I did have fun with for a while, but until I got the great sword organically, was um, the thunder hammer. Uh, there's a there's a place which uh, I think it 
it's is it actually it leads it leads i think to that to that arrow fight that i just mentioned the the bow power up fight if you go down underneath the cemetery there's a whole there's like a whole area that's full of little spiders in balls mm-hmm. did, did everyone see that yep. yeah. yeah and um and they're quite low they've got quite low hp but there's loads of them so if you just go in there with the hammer the hammer has a an electrical charge current which hits from one enemy to another you can just go around slamming the floor and these pretty easy to kill enemies each give you one or two souls and you can bank those and uh, and go back and and finish your your power up path i only finished the game with of the abilities so there's there's five levels of each of the uh, of the abilities that you can power up uh, I ended up with four and all of them, so there's still there's still. Oh no, sorry, I I tell a lie. I did get the fifth strength uh, for strength, which uh, obviously is a help. But yeah, you've got your other kind of RPG staple elements: dexterity, haste, and magic, which um, that's going to have a huge bearing on how challenging you find some of these fights, as uh, what power powering up you've done in terms of just buying abilities with souls, right? I'm all about strength for these games generally. I'd, I think he's always, I think even from the start of the game, he moves quite nimbly and, and fairly well, or, or she could be a female crow, it doesn't specify. I do find the dodge roll gets noticeably better after two I or think three you've got a downtime in the dodge roll, haven't okay. you, if I remember. Mm. Um, yeah. yeah, you can't yeah. just well, you can't, spam it. Yeah. It's, once, once you roll, you kind of have to get so your footing So if you upgrade that all the way, you essentially roll. get, not unlimited, but I think it's essentially three rolls something like that three or four rolls that yeah and then have that downtime which so obviously it's inessential though based on sean's experience but yeah i think i only put the one the one point into that one i I put i always i I tend to play a lot of games like that where there's the the kind of min maxing thing where i generally put a lot more into damage than i do into uh, into hp or movement i'm all about kind of trying to get the (laughs) job done done quickly and efficiently if you can yeah Yeah, and this game's interesting in that respect in that um, you can't you the, the only way you can only up your uh you can't up your defense all you can do is up your hit points by up to 50% of your starting. You start with four, you can get six. That's it. There is no and more. Quite I quite a, like it's quite a way kind of... to do that as well. It's quite a long... Yeah. It is. It's, yeah, it's a lot of work. Yeah. And you're not getting it done until the end, <laughs> kind of till the end of the game as well. If you're going for the full upgrade, those last ones are you know in, in the kind of final areas as well. So you're only mm. getting those upgrades towards the very end. Yeah. It does help though, having those extra oh, two gosh, magic yeah. and the extra oh, two yeah. hit points. The dexterity thing, and also build on this. There was one particular foe that I loathed attacking. Who's that? Not the. It was the nimble knight. I called it. It was heavily armored, but could spin around on a <laughs> dime and just like just swing around and just leap at you. It went, but may as well mm. not wear any armor at all. And it was just oh, can jump just, screens at you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And it just mm. it just it's really that, that that one was a real problem. And I remember yeah. facing one towards the end. We're sucking poison as well, right? Oh, Come the poison on. is a pain. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, you also start with four points of magic, which is what allows you to shoot arrows, fire bombs, and so on. Um, and again, eight shrines in the entire game. Basically, green-eyed for health, red-eyed for magic. Buildings or little, yeah, they're shrines, but they're like big faces. Uh, virtually all of them are hidden. Some of them are kind of. 
less well hidden than others, I suppose. Some of them are in really quite obscure places. And this is where I did, I will admit to using a guide to find a couple of the health ones, mm. just because I realized that I was going to want to have maximum health to take the out of the final boss so yeah i did look a couple of them up and a couple of them over you know those ones were did make me think would i have ever found that a few of them i mean they're really really nicely hidden um but yeah this is where we talk about the fact that this game has no map has no magic arrow has no guidance and actually despite that apart from resorting to a guide for those shrines other than getting temporarily mislaid you know walking the wrong path kind of thing uh, I found it remarkably easy to get around without all those things that we now kind of assume are almost staples and mandatory. Now, at least one of our correspondents feels that the game should have had a map. Where do you each sit on this? Were you happy without a map, Chris? Um, Yeah, because I've been playing Zelda games and adventure action-adventure games like this for so many years that I've always found a map a bit of a luxury um, because like I like to feel myself around and see landmarks and go right. I know I need to get past that. You know, getting to the the uh, the sailor, the the where um where the the, the solar solar sailor, the yeah, stranded sailor. Stranded sailor. There you go. Old age kicking in the stranded sailor. Getting to that that was my anchor point, pun intended, to to where many things were because that's pretty much a a hub point because you could get to the mountain from there around there. You could also project uh, over to the east to get to the ruins and stuff. It was all I didn't the lamp the, the design was so precise and so tight that you could actually use landmarks to know where you were and it was entirely possible to, to link up as Tony was saying although most of the time you use the doors for fast travel. Unless you have Jefferson step to your back and says no i can't use the doors you've got to walk the long way <laughs> um but um no i i i didn't really struggle with uh finding what the only thing i did struggle with is seeing something and go how oh, the blazes are going to get to there maybe i need an ability that i don't have yet or maybe i do and i just don't know how to use it properly you know that that's but that's a what i call a, a zelda mechanic where you see something in the distance and go oh look at that that looks interesting I wonder how i'm gonna get to that and that's how I got around, you know. It's, it's the, the the little corners of the screen, which you could look, uh, you could move around with your right stick if you're using control, which I did, so I played on the Xbox. And it was like, yeah, okay, I can see, I can see. So I didn't really struggle with got I don't very very rarely did I find myself lost. The only time I found myself confused and lost was was sometimes in the mansion when I was trying mm. to find the souls that the, which you had to open up because you had to open up these four souls to open up a larger door to eventually yeah. led to uh, another part of the the, 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 the game. Um, that was sometimes quite vexing, especially and th- also the castle suffered from this quite badly too. But generally speaking, no, I wasn't lost that much. Very rare. Yeah. yeah. It, it did hark back to me to the dungeons of Link to the Past and Link's Awakening, but not quite as befuddling as those could be at times, particularly Link's Awakening, the famous ball that we talked yeah. about in that show. Sean, were you map-free and happy in either the dungeons or the overworld? 
interesting that I, I'm not great at finding my way around in games. I often mm, like as a, a map as a bit of a reference yeah. point or even just because I like to, to tidy things up and leave everything clean in games. I like a map that will, you know, change colour or give you a nice little tick yes, mark please. to know that you've done everything in that area. So, <laughs> um, yeah, so I did find... I I did actually get lost a little bit in this game, and it might have just been through not looking at the visual indicators enough, but mm. uh, I found the one point where I didn't really know where to go with this game was I, I was I was on track until I beat the Urn Witch, and then after you have the, the kind of little funeral, the eulogy for the, for the Urn Witch, you're put back out to the um to the Hall of Doors, yeah. and I just remember thinking yeah. at that point, uh, yeah. okay, where, where yeah, do I right. go? Has yeah. it? Has a new door opened up? Like, have I? And then I, I kind of walked around the stage and went, okay, all the no new doors have opened up. Um, I've talked to the crows. None of them are really giving me an indicator yeah. of where to go. And it was only when I thought that you can go back and talk to the grey crow that yeah. uh, that tells you that he'll tell you where to go. But uh, upon going back to the grey crow, I kind of found that fork in the road as well, where you originally go to the urn witch, but if you go straight, you head to the mountains, yes. and if you go right, you go to where the the frog is. So I didn't actually have to go the entire way back. I, I, I jogged my memory oh, okay. as I went back through that part. Yeah. So that could have been me just being a bit dense and not paying enough attention on the way through, or um, yeah. But I'm interested if if any other players kind of had that mm. that same thing where they were just hit with a bit of a question mark as to where to go after the I, first boss. I think I had the same sort of vagaries of like yeah not exactly sure because it also it just actually it just leaves you in the room when you've killed the bosses it doesn't even kind of put you back anywhere so you've kind of got the choice yeah. to just walk back through the dungeon or whatever if you want yeah it's, you can keep exploring yeah. and maybe pick some things up That's but it. yeah I, I just wasn't it exactly wasn't that sure clear. where to go at that point but i also i sort of yeah in it's the conversation perhaps one of the ones we have the most on this podcast which, which is you know how much do we like games to guide us and you know being agnostic about these things we know we're all different and there's no hard and fast rule that every game should do one thing in it or and not another but in this game i felt actually it was a nice throwback to playing the 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 less guided games of the past but it oh, yeah. but it didn't feel overwhelming to me like it, even as somebody I, like you who gets lost a lot like it made sense to even go and with talk. that i didn't find myself yeah, I wasn't wishing for a map the whole time. I wasn't kind of going, oh, this game needs a map, right. this game needs a map. It was really once you're on track, you're okay, mm. and then you might just have some moments where you have to, you know, sniff around to, to find it's the centre. It's funny because I would have liked, I know this sounds really counselling, but I, I would have liked a map um, partly mm -hmm. to show off the world that they have built because although it absolutely is in connection, you can move around it for sure, it would have been nice to have more of a visual kind of, representation of that on screen like oh yeah that the the lakes here bleed down to you know the swamp down here which then also travel is it, almost just to have a kind of a visual image more so than just going from screen to screen to screen i and i don't think it would necessarily hurt any just to see like a grayed out bit to the right and if you've done some all the mm. bits on the left even if they're not showing that like, this is an outline of something okay like well clearly i need to mm -hmm. go that way because there was times when i was like I'm not a hundred percent sure what they they give a little bit. So if you have a door, or you have these doors that you travel backwards and forwards into different areas, the doors are lit up in a different color. If you've completely hundred percent cleared that area, so that's only in the post game though, right? Um, maybe it was like maybe I'm yeah. It's a that that that's what I was coming to. Like it does <laughs> the game only starts to guide you Once, when it really yeah, feels like it has okay. to. 
What I don't know is, do those those red glows definitely refer to collectible trinkets mm -hmm. and shrines and things like that? But what I don't know if they refer to is the will it glow if there's just like one seed or one pot remaining in that entire area? Because that doesn't seem like a massively helpful. That yeah, I wasn't sure about that because one of the th reasons I did use a guide was because I thought I don't want to get right to the end of this uh, game and find that I've got forty nine of the fifty. That's seeds where I'm at. And yeah. then have to, and <laughs> that, oh, and that, so so rather if there's one area, I think you should look for that door. I'm not sure if it is just still lit up in a different yeah. way. That could maybe be your your indicator. But yeah, I wasn't I'm, keen on walking the whole way through back the entire game just to find. Because to follow a guide of seeds that, now, you'd have to basically go back to the start. Yeah and do everything that's right, which yeah, i yeah. hate so that's why doing the last 10 percent isn't that appealing no. to me at this um point. so I, I i don't think it would have harmed the guy the game any if it had a guide i, no. I also applaud mm. it for trying to be different um because it's a riskier move for right well, it's a riskier yeah. move because yeah. you all have people that go i don't know where to go and just drop the game Absolutely. Um, versus Absolutely. you know that purity versus that well if there was a in a, a map then they could at least go okay well i need to go to the right yeah um, it doesn't even maybe need to so, be a detail. Maybe, we, just can be just like we've talked to, we've talked before, and obviously it's you know easier doing, easier saying this than doing it. I wonder if there's a there's mileage in a in an option. You know, people who want a guided experience versus people who don't, and actually make it a make it an accessibility. I think it's really interesting with their game design in, in that regard, and especially because it's just a you know a, a few people. And I'm just say two people. It's a few people that come up with this game and created this game. Is you know back to that. I think it was definitely only two people who designed okay, the level. But, um, and, uh, um, so yeah. to to my point about doing this umbrella run, that that's I find that like a really um, beautifully organic way of having a hard mode in a game without specifically speaking, picking a hard mode yeah. off the main Absolutely. menu screen. It's like you can do this, you idiot, but you can do this if you want, right? <laughs> Versus yeah. if you yeah, just yeah, play yeah. the game organically, this is the game we have for you. But if you want to be you do this in a hard way. Here's another way. Now, the only way that they they present that to the player essentially is where you could use this in a, in the screen versus well, here's an achievement. Maybe go for it. It's one of the reasons I love the achievement system is, is because it makes you explore games in different ways. But also, you know, I just found that just a, a beautifully simplistic way of saying, well, you know, you can handicap yourself. It's not the first game to do that. I've come across plenty of games that have had those kind yeah. of duff weapons that you know, like, why are you buying this? It's not really worth it. But it just mm. worked for me. It worked really well. And it actually meant that I, I really had to learn that kind of, we talk about that dodge mechanic. Is it any good? For me, it was like absolutely vital because I was essentially rolling in, hitting, moving out, rolling in, hitting, moving out and utilizing all these other elements going on in the environment because my hit points were so much less. I couldn't rely on other things. I found that really challenging and really fun and it didn't harm the experience. But equally, when I then did the kind of new game plus bit afterwards, and had access to those weapons i'm like cool there's a load of really cool stuff that would have been super useful and more powerful in these scenarios that would have made this so much more uh approachable but good on the developers mm. right it's that that balance of finding more interesting ways of actually delivering that to the player and that's what i mean it maybe that is the the signifier of a, an indie game where they can uh, take other elements and push that towards rather than it just being dropped in like a, a spreadsheet of many things jh from our patreon says i came to death's door having recently played tunic and wanting something similar in style nature and tone i've never played a souls game through fear of inability so comparisons to that collection make me very nervous i was worried i wouldn't even know how to begin where to start 
how to start. It feels like trying to knit fog. However, despite that initial nervousness, I found Death's Door to be a delight, brimming with 90s Nintendo charm. The little diorama worlds and portal system managed the experience perfectly and you could embark on 30 second exploratory raids or forays without much fear of failure. Thanks to this and a generous difficulty curve as well as a hint guide or two, I played through to the true ending and enjoyed a captivating 12 hours. A good game for all ages and experience levels, in no small part down to its storybook adventure setting. I still wouldn't know where to begin with From Software though. Truck Kurt from our forum says I picked this up after it won the TCGS Podcast 2021 Game of the Year. Whilst it wouldn't have been mine, it certainly made the top three. The closest game I could compare Death's Door to would be the top-down Zelda games. But I think one area where it was better than Zelda is in its combat, which felt much more satisfying to me with some tough but fun boss battles. I love the art style and the variation in the environments you got to explore. The only complaint I would have is that it started to feel unfairly hard at times towards the end and particularly in the final boss battle, which seemed to go on forever. But other than that, I had a great time with this game. Yeah, the just briefly back on the, the, the final boss, obviously I said kind of how it panned out for me. Uh, I imagine, did it take you more attempts with an umbrella, Tony, do you it think? It took a or number were you of just attempts. Absolutely. No, it took a number of attempts. You were rocking no, it by no, that I'm point. not even going to yeah. pretend I'm that, that good. No, it was it, it was a, a challenge, but whatever. That's That was part yeah. of it, knew, knew what it was. So the there's these sort of bits which are like where you're getting the, door, the doors with bulls attached to them or bulls with doors attached to them charging at you uh they can be you can actually get ahead of them if you if you if you know the level well enough you can actually uh, zoom on to the point where yeah where they don't even fluster you which is uh yeah interesting if you watch a speedrunner doing it they don't even engage with those doors uh but you can i think you can use your iframes to dodge roll under them as well but i would just i just learned the pattern generally to zip by them um and then yeah little segments of boss inside areas representing well i actually think actually they are the areas that you've already been to in the game um yeah and no, i again obviously your mileage may vary it depends how much health you've got what weapon you're using but um but yeah i i can't remember exactly how many tries overall but not millions not not to the point that i was starting to get angry did anyone's experience vary from that? Honesty is appreciated. <laughs> I, uh, if I, sorry, Sean, if I may, it's, uh, yeah, the rage was real, unfortunately. I do have a temper. Uh, rage, rage for you, was but, it? Yeah, I'm afraid uh, it was like, I I was using, I think I was using a sword at the time. I'm not sure why. I think it was the reach. I was like, I'm just not, this is not happening for me. All my normal tactics were not ha- were not working. Right on her mm. and her mocking laugh was getting on my my <laughs> verbials. So I um eventually I went, what am I doing wrong? So I I've probably used the guide, a reference guide, probably I think three times. Um yeah. and that's pretty good going for me. Um I was like, you know, okay, what's what's going on? And then someone then they're like, oh yeah, of course the hammer. She's wearing armor. Use the hammer on the her armor. Okay, that makes total sense. And then as soon as did that, three or four goes, and she was out. And uh, that was uh, ah. that was a moment for me putting down the. 
I think that was true mm. and maybe not, but I certainly was way more successful in taking her out with a mm. hammer than when I was with Maybe the it just gave you the confidence. But I wonder if maybe they coded it so that the if if there's different segments of armor, maybe maybe it's taking more hits from the know. chain attack. Yeah, I mean mm. that's that's uh, same for me. I'm embarrassed. I couldn't quite figure out what was going on with the the frog lord. That was the other time I was like, "Why? How is it? How do you do this? I've run out of platforms and then I'm dead. What's going on? I must be missing something." Clearly, I was. Didn't realize I had to shoot the arrow on the back of him for for to, to refill. I didn't, you know, just oh brain ah, fart. Yeah. But right. um, I didn't, didn't, didn't see touch. it. Yeah, it's very lovely mm. touch. But going back to the... Yeah, uh, unfortunately, it was raged. There were many times I had to put the controller down for fear of throwing it against the rule, which I didn't want to do because cool. it's an elite controller. <laughs> very expensive. Like, put it down, Chris, put it down, because you're going to damage it. <laughs> and uh, because I was getting very, very... And I had to, you know, take pace, the, pace my, up and down my living room. Like, it's okay, it's just a video game. It's just a video game, but... Ugh! Yeah. yeah, I've been there. <laughs> yeah, well, no, okay. Sean, what was your final boss experience like? Yeah, it, it's definitely it, it's definitely a bit of a skill check. I think like the the Yeti boss. I think all the bosses are, are a little bit of a jump up from the last boss. I think mm. the urn which you but you kind of deal with pretty easily, and then the frogs that next level. But yeah, with the with the Lord of Doors, I. I was being too. I was just trying to take too much damage off him mm. too quickly. I, instead of getting in there and getting a couple of hits. I was just kind of being too aggressive, and and that was my demise for the first few times. But I think just just trying to learn the patterns, just kind of learning a little bit each time, and getting a little bit further each time, yeah. uh, which is an enjoyable gameplay loop for me. I think maybe I don't know, maybe five or six times. The important thing mm. there is it gives you it's it's quite it gives you a bit of mercy. You don't have to do that run up to the boss again. Yeah. You haven't got those seven or eight screens with the doors. Thank it gives you a checkpoint right decision. before that final fight. Yeah, and when when I got to him with one hit point left the first part time and got taken yeah. out pretty quickly, I was like, okay, this is going to be a bit of a run up. I didn't remember that from when <laughs> I finished the first time that it gives you the check the checkpoint just before, which is uh, yeah. appreciated. That's a good yeah. good um, quality of life thing. Yeah, I agree. Toon Scottoon from our forum says, "I've played through Death Store twice. The first time was on Xbox One in early August of 2021." As a fan of most top-down games with Zelda DNA, I watched the trailer, read the reviews, and gave myself gave gave myself over to my fear of missing out. Even though I knew I didn't have a lot of non-portable gaming time in my future, tethered to my television, I squeezed this title into my life rather than making room for it. It was a mistake. I arrived at the final boss underpowered for my skill level, which made this last conflict, especially the rote memorization of platforming part, a sour affair. Fast forward to January of this year, and seeing the game was on the cane and rinse docket, I decided to buy the title again on Switch during a digital sale with some spare gold coins and a gift card. Now free to take this adventure on the road, I lingered in every field and dungeon, gathered souls, hummed along with the terrific soundtrack, took down optional bosses, and nicked every shiny object I saw. It was a delightful journey. Even the fight with the Lord of Doors, which was challenging, but no longer felt like a chore to be checked off, but a proper send-off worthy of one of the Gravedigger's thoughtful eulogies. Yeah, that's uh, uh, just a perfect example of the thing we always talk about, which is how you know, the ways, the way in which you c approach a game, how you come to it, and what your kind of uh, limitations are around playing it can massively affect your opinion of it, which we've certainly experienced playing games with the podcast at times <laughs> and having a time limit and things like that. Yeah. 
Mr. Ixalite again from the forum says, booting up Death's Door after a wave of praise, I was initially underwhelmed. Is this all the combat is? The environments just look like this. What's the plot again? Is pulling a lever to lower a ladder supposed to be satisfying? But it didn't take long for the game to get its hooks in me and have me gleefully throwing myself into as many tough-as-nails fights as possible. Beyond the satisfying combat itself, this was in large part due to the aforementioned ladder levers. By being generous with opening up shortcuts, the game ensured that I was always just a short walk to get back to any particular encounter after death, which made retrying them feel non-punishing. Again, thoughtful level design. Yeah, uh, There are a couple of walls where I feel like ladders were supposed to appear but never did, but there's always another way around. Shadowless Kick, also from the forum, says for a game I was so excited for pre-release, I'm sorry to say I never made it to the end of Death's Door. The tone and presentation were interesting and the writing was pretty good, but the overall pace was just too slow for my tastes. That includes traversal, combat and the frequency with which weapons and upgrades were doled out. I probably would have persevered through its more deliberate nature had it included a map to help me find my way. But its strange exclusion meant that on top of everything else, I was also wandering around aimlessly and slowly. My initial interest and excitement mutated into annoyance and finally disdain over the time I put into Death's Door. I'm glad it found an audience, but with me, it wore out its welcome quickly, which in hindsight was the only thing it didn't take forever to do. <laughs> to so my yeah, point. Uh, <laughs> absolutely. Uh, and yeah, so... A word of warning for the listener in Among All the Praise that that could be your experience as well. Yeah, I think I always feel like if you if you're down that route and you're having those those feelings about something, just bring up a guide. Like it, if it's a choice of thinking mm -hmm. you might really enjoy something, and like well, if the game hasn't there, there is that element of well, the game should tell me what to do, otherwise it's not worthy of my time. And mm. I I do get that, mm. but my mm. what I say all of our our feelings from games that we've certainly revisited from the past. Sometimes it's just, it's just okay to look at a guide and move forward. Mm -hmm. And it's not, you know, you make games as fun as you want to make them and looking at the guide won't change, change your, you know, that thing. Although it, if you're doing a podcast, you could know that maybe if they had a map, things would be easier and that would be fair. But to miss out on what I think is a really good game, just because you don't want to necessarily look mm -hmm. on the, at a guide on the internet, you know, even just to pick up one or two tips sometimes that it doesn't mean you have to religiously look at something to and move from puzzle to puzzle, but just to get you yeah, through yeah. that one you just want to hint the prompt prompt yeah. at that moment. Always, I'm, I'm a big believer yeah. just to make things a little bit easier. We live in the age. Do you know what? I was hoping, I was hoping the, uh, the, the, the call box at the front of the hub office level <laughs> that would be really was going good, to yeah. be, uh, maybe, it, maybe it was a, a little nod to Ulrira in, Link's Awakening, but I was thinking, oh, maybe at some point in the game I'll go to that and it will say, here's an idea. Why don't you go to, even if it was just like the, the area, even if it was just, yeah, generally in this area. And actually the game does do that. You can speak to the Grey Crow or uh, I think a couple of other people sort of take that role at various points, kind of urging you on, nudging you very much in the right direction, Pothead or Barb. But yes, it's it's seldom totally explicit in its now attack this area i would say one of the things i learned about playing these sorts of games over the years and then please the, the cellular please don't take this wrong way but 
it's, it sounds really gatekeeping. I apologize, but there's definitely a lexicon to them. They, they, they assume that you're going to pay attention to everything all of the time, which can be quite exhausting. But I actually get energized by it. That you, every little nuance, little win, little tick in the corner of the screen, you can barely make out. You go, oh, look at what's that? That's what's meant to drive you on. That's you don't. That's why I didn't really need a map because, like, that's new. And I would always log it back in my mind and go, well, I don't know how to get to that now. But when I get the thing that allows me to, I'll go back to that. And that's, you know, that's, that's a very old mechanic now. It's been decades old. But that's what I've, this, this what their store really revels in. And uh, if, if you're not really familiar with that, I can appreciate why it's quite frustrating. But it's something I've always been quite drawn to, like just the sense of being rewarded for paying attention and just discovery itself is, is rewarding of itself. But that's all yeah, it, but it, it sounds, comes across. It sounded as much like uh, Shadowless Kit was just struggling with the pace as well as the uh, yeah. as as the, the the lack of of guidance. That was some sort of something we we were talking about. But also, it doesn't. Yeah, it's not not everyone kind of has the luxury of that sort of level of engagement or time with a game. They might have more distractions going on around them, or or more considerations, or something like that. So, yeah, yeah. as we always come back to, not every be- game works for every player. Yeah, it could just be game preference a lot of the time uh, as well. And and I think with with this where a lot of the things that he points out where the game is slow and the traversal and the combat frequency and things like that, there's a lot of people on the other hand that are looking for exactly that out, out of a game. I I found with the pacing it reminded me most of, a, of one of the old school Zelda games just in the way it was paced where you had to look around to, to kind of see something that could be the next place to explore or next place to look at, but... I definitely understand uh, what Shadowless Kick means, where he he doesn't find that part interesting or exciting. He'd he'd rather just kind of get to the next um, yeah. to the next area. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, uh, have we said everything that needs to be said about going beyond the credit roll? Uh, that we've talked about the red doors. We talked about the the fact that the ending gives a bit more uh, context. We talked about the fact that the Reaper flies, um, but actually. I think it is it, it felt to me a little bit like um after you've done uh the all the um all the exits in super mario world and and like the the colors and the sprites change and things like that like because you you literally uh get a key to a bell tower climb up a bell tower dong the bell and the entire game goes to night which is quite a dramatic effect yeah so i didn't know about this when i originally played no. and and finished so i and and it was because I was following a guide this time that I that I obviously through reading that knew exactly where to go once I'd kind of finished the game. But but I don't know if I would have led myself to that if I was just using my kind of brain power and trying to pick up on on what I'd done in the game. I'm not sure if I actually would have been able to to know to navigate to that bell tower, climb up to hit the ladder. I mm. I, mm. I know that there is some indicator, but I'm just not sure that I would have put those put those two together to um to enter the night phase. Um, the, 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 sorry, the trigger point for me was when the, the, the key was dropped by the final boss. Well, that's interesting. Grabbed the key and I knew, I knew about the bell tower. So you have to go back early. to get it, though. That's the you thing. Do. So, you do. Yeah. I, so you wouldn't know that if you didn't go back to the final boss room. No, but I remember that there was a cutscene right at the end 
where the key was dropped. And, oh, that's flashing. Oh, really? That, that's a blingy bit. I'm going to grab that. Yeah. That's, oh, I didn't yeah, even notice. That's it. right. That's right. Yeah, I remember now. Like I said, <laughs> yep. the whole paying attention thing. It's just... Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> I just went back because I'm not sure why. I was just, like, looking for stuff, I suppose. There's things like the achievement for taking a forest spirit through the security gate and stuff like that. So there were a few, you know, yeah, a few things. There's always the potential of a hookshot thing that you haven't looked at. But yeah, then, yeah, bell tower key and there's that one gate that you haven't opened. What I did like about it particularly, as well as the kind of um, going back through the remixed world, you've got different monster encounters, some actual different monsters in places. Tony can speak more to to this than I can. Um, You've got these uh, ghosts wandering around that you have to lead to their statues to open, open all these doors and you've got all these doors to open each door releases, uh, is it, uh, or or different different things release tablets depending on. So one of them is every seed and every pot. One of them is uh, taking the squid to the place, and then doing a combat zone in another chest, and so on and so forth. How many how many tablets are there? Sacred tablets, seven, Se- seven altogether, right, I believe. Yeah. And then some some of them, like the ghosts and the one we have to find the owls you're doing multiple things to, to get pieces of the tablet. Mm-hmm. So you kind of have to get seven of those to put that whole tablet together. Uh, there's also a, there's also an additional kind of secret boss that you, that you find at yeah. the end, which, which I thought was a good addition, but I'm interested to hear uh, your, your opinions. What did, what did you guys think of the post game after playing through the, the main game? I, well, no, I, I thought it was fine. I, I, you know, I, I, I like the, the fact that it, it changes the look of it, but, uh, and the sound. but the, the post game is i think is designed for those the people that just want that that little bit more you know a few more challenging areas you know doing a, a cleanup of areas they've yet to be in certain it's it is a classic post game i think it was fine um should it like you know would it should, was it was it essential to be you know a bigger part i, I don't know i always that 110 percent kind of mentality is mm-hmm. I, I get caught up in that because i'm always trying to min max everything um but equally it's not actually 110 no, no. is it it's, it's actually it's 100 um, i just wanted to make that clear so no one's chasing but you know i mean that kind of zelda like you know go that one <laughs> I know step, exactly what one you mean, step further yeah. and, and i do appreciate those yeah. but equally I don't, I don't think it's necessary somebody would have to go out and seek it it's a fun added extra no I think it's a really nice yeah. adds a really nice layer and element of mystery mm-hmm. you've got and and the the fact that the levels were all designed to include all this stuff that you don't necessarily ever see the moonlit paths and the secret shrines and all this stuff is again just to me it's like a real example of the amount of effort and thought that's gone into the game. Yeah, I suppose we didn't really talk about the puzzles because they're there but you know as a general yeah. a general thing yeah, they start off really simple of like, well, there here's a burning urn. You need to fire an arrow through an urn to to light the next one, which allows you to light the next one, mm. and eventually allows you to open the door. Like simple stuff, but it you know, works relatively well. Um, I bet I feel like the hookshot kind of really opens up the game when you've got the ability to move around the world, uh, access areas. I think like the kind of swampy area that you couldn't get to before that opens up whole new sections you didn't even know existed just off from game worlds, which you spent probably good part of three or four hours exploring around and then suddenly find that there's a whole new area just below um which is quite fun um yeah and i, I don't think that the puzzles particularly outstayed the welcome which is you know it's actually a good praise <laughs> considering i've played a number of games like this and just scratch my head 
I thought one puzzle that was that was interesting because it, it only kind of did it once in the game with the collectibles that you pick up. There's an old photograph that you can that you can pick up somewhere in the game. Yes, and it does the does the Resident Evil yes. thing where you jump into your inventory so cool. and you have to turn yeah. around the photograph to see uh, numbers that are marked, yeah. and you soon learn that those numbers correspond to. The chessboard of pots that Pot are puzzle, in yeah. Pothead's secret garden. Yeah. So once you hit those at the right, uh, kind of hit them in the right order, that opens up mm -hmm. the secret garden. And I thought that was that was really clever. And definitely, you know, I I am a, I don't figure these things out by myself. I wouldn't have picked that up. I would have never accessed that secret garden yeah. if it wasn't for never the guide. The just photo. because I wouldn't have thought to. Yeah, look at every collectible and, uh, and very turn cool. around. It made me think of Kojima. Yeah. It made me think of uh, Fez, and um, and actually the fact that. Yeah, again, Chris's point about paying attention. The fact that every object in the game has a 3D viewer is kind of the most... I mean, it's a really subtle clue, but there had to be a reason. <laughs> yeah, that's or the hint, that's or right. Or did there, but even so, yeah. My, my yeah, very nifty. If I may say, my favourite puzzle, I don't know why I liked it so much, but maybe because of the reward at the end, but to get the great sword, great Claymore sword, that I called mm. it, was you had my to blow sword. up bits of the wall. <laughs> You have to, to yeah. run around and blow up bits of wall where it told you to blow it up. It was great. Zelda style, but yeah. but with no cracks or glow to, to no. indicate, just actual uh, uh, hints. Yeah. yeah, there's a pair yeah. of columns. What? It could be anywhere. Oh, wait, it's there. <laughs> but it's, yeah. It's, yeah. it was just you know really, really, really well done. And by the way, the, the pothead fellow, when he's his secret garden, bit of a pro tip there, he will actually tell you where you're next trying to find your seeds. He will tell you, oh, we should go there. We haven't done seeds there. He will tell you. Now, that is interesting information because I didn't know that. So, yeah. Uh, that, could actually, that could actually send me back for the last 10% because otherwise it was a case of scouring everywhere for the, the last. I think, I think I've got three maybe seeds to get of the 50, maybe. Mm. So yeah. maybe it's more, actually. <laughs> anyway. Nick Tendo from the forum says, I can't remember how I came across Death's Door, but the art style and combat instantly drew me in. I've played it through three times, twice on PC and once on Switch. Plus, I purchased the Special Reserve physical release, also for Switch. Every once in a while, a special game just comes completely out of nowhere. Guess it's on your epic shelf, Nick Tendo. <laughs> Uh, anything further to be said on, on the achievement situation or trophies, depending on your format? Uh, Tony, uh, you've you've done the lot, right? Yeah, I did, the usual smorgasbord of um, just mm. work your way through the game. But as I said, I I really like the fact that there was an achievement there just to test test you outside your kind of uh, the normal remit if you wanted mm. to go for it. I always get a bit panicky with a hundred percent complete games because knowing how <laughs> what they normally involve. Um, but that's I mean that's not required yeah. to enjoy the game. Like it, you know, that's the to go back. You can. I think with getting a, a, a smattering of upgrades as you go and focusing primarily on weapons that really f suit your playstyle, I think this game is achievable to to see the end credits roll. And then if you've you know really dug it, fallen in love with it, then you know there's there's plenty more to do post post credit roll if you really want to see that secret ending. You know there's another probably says I have ninety two percent of the seeds. I'm not sure what that trend. Oh, I guess know. that's yeah. That is that three missing? Possibly. I think so. Um, four missing, I think. Four missing. Oh, thanks. 
Massachusetts. <laughs> um, there, there's only a couple that. Well, there's one that I'll. There's a reason I'll never max this out. Is the the umbrella run? I've got no desire to do that. Uh, a couple of them seem to rely on doing certain things in boss fights. Can you replay the boss fights in the post game to do those, or do you have to restart a new file? New file. I think I, uh, I looked at that, and I don't think there's a way to to. Um... Shame. To actually do those again, I know there was one for when the boss inhales. You can you can throw a yeah. bomb in his yeah. mouth. Another thing that I missed completely that is yeah, you know, very much that. a game a gamey trope, but that, that makes sense. It would yeah. have been something super zeldery, yeah, but mm. just did not think to do it. And yeah, I think I'm, I can't remember the other uh, two. Perhaps someone you, else can, but there was yeah individual you can, uh, achievements set for the bosses. The, the pot that Grandma, you can set her on fire inside the pot. Um, yeah, I just, did that a, a couple of times when I when I first did it. It went bling. Yeah, look at the only missile one. So it's the uh, get a forest spirit for security. Um, Yeah, feed the frog pot. That one, feed the frog a pot. uh, Beat the game with umbrella and the grandma one. So yeah, I mean the rest of them you can just go back into the game and and work your way through. Um, And I suppose you could speed run areas (laughs) to re get the ones you missed. Maybe once you knew the game, I'd imagine that's that's doable. Okay, radical dog. From our forum says, I've never finished a Zelda game despite trying a few. Death Door showed me that it can be done in a way that works for me. Something about the atmosphere is magnetic with an inspired fantastical setting and quirky characters that aren't overwritten. The combat could have perhaps used a touch of Celeste's assist mode as my RSI made it a pain to finish. But finish it I did. And finally... We have Oni Omaregi from our Patreon, who says, Death's Door is a special game to me because I found it at a rough time in my life. The art style, music and gameplay loop brought me much joy that I needed badly. This is a game that I will forever hold in high regard and will always sing its praises when telling people about it. It may be a small game, but it holds a huge place in my heart. We've all got those, haven't we? Yeah, very well said. Also, in just three words, follow us on social media, places like Twitter, at Kane and Rince. Shadowless Kick. Need a map. Or needed a map. Andy the Asp says, Zelda versus Souls. Weedo says, bosses with personality. Jen Jensengul. Um, he's cheating a bit here, but I'll go with it. <laughs> Classic mm. TGGS game of the year. Oh. T-C-G-S-G-O-T-Y. I mean, that's that's more than five words. But, you know, I'll, I'll allow it for a... Yeah, that's a, that's yeah. a nine-word, yeah. three-word review. <laughs> yeah, it is really. But uh, I thought I we'd like let, in, let uh, our, our frenemies over at TCGS get another mention. Uh, I expect their Game of the Year show 2021 is still available if you care to go back and listen to more about Death's Door. Uh, let's all wrap up. I think we're all in a fairly similar place. So let's start with Chris. Death Store is an exquisite game. Don't say that lightly. It's so well crafted and so well honed. And despite some of the difficulty spikes that I personally encountered with without warning, which it did like, what's this? Especially those agile knights, whatever they were called. Oh boy. Hmm. Nonetheless, I pers- persevered. Not because I was going to be coming on this podcast. It's absolutely not. I actually replayed it for for this show to remind myself because I didn't finish it a while back. And it's an absolute joy. Despite 
all the, the the components of it that would drive some rage in me, I would still persevere. Why? Why? What made what drove me on? Because I wanted to see more of this world that they that, that acid nerve had made, and I wanted to see more of it because clearly I went to do New Game Plus, which I very very rarely do, but seeing more of the world and expanding more on that story really was very rewarding. And that's the word that immediately springs to mind when I think of their store. Rewarding. You're rewarded for discovering things. You're rewarded for for paying attention. And you're rewarded for persevering. Their store is a magnificent game. Thanks, Chris. I really enjoyed Death's Door. I don't think... There's, there's probably not that much about it that would uh, that would elevate it to an all timer for me, but there's nothing in there which would kind of dramatically see it go below the you know thorough recommendation bracket in in my uh, well goodness knows how many we've I've said that about over the years on the podcast. I've recommended a few games. Uh, this would be another one, uh, incredibly thoughtfully put together, really intelligently designed obviously taking a lot of cues from other games by other people, and they're not shy about saying that either. Uh, why would you be? Uh, incredibly impressive work from mainly two people, David Fenn and Mark Foster. We'll be really interested to see what they do next. They, In the, in the, the uh, documentary uh, with no clip, they say that, you know, as with all creators, they, they look at this game now and they're, they're very proud of it and they're very happy with lots of it, but also they feel they made lots of kind of rookie mistakes uh, this was their second game, of course, as a as a duo, and uh, and it'll be interesting to see kind of what they what they do next. It'll be interesting to see if they kind of go down the the super giant route of sort of creating games, okay, Pyre accepted in a roughly similar style and space, or whether they will kind of branch out and maybe tackle completely different genres altogether from different viewpoints, yeah, different perspectives. It sounds like they've uh, obviously the publisher and platform holders will have taken their cut as well. But it sounds like they've done pretty well financially out of this game, maybe to the point that they would possibly never even have to work again. But hopefully they've got the luxury to and they and the desire to sink a, another few years into making uh, another similarly delightful experience. Uh, so, yes, it's on Game Pass. You can pick it up on other formats as well. But uh, certainly if you've got Game Pass and you haven't, had a look at this i would say it does get off to a slightly slow start in some ways uh, echoing what was said earlier in that i think the game improves the more you play it to the in the sense that you get a better dodge roll and you do more attack damage and it starts to feel a little less kind of punishing and stuff like that but yeah all the touchstones that this game harkens towards are things that uh, a lot of you listeners will like and as such yeah check this one out and uh maybe solve all its mysteries as well sean yeah i i feel similarly and i really like death store uh as a whole but it's it's not quite kind of epic shelf for me um i i had a really good time playing it 
And while I don't think that it comes to the table with too many original ideas or, or does anything that is new or that I haven't seen in games before, I think it does borrow from from some of those best aspects of, of the Zelda games, less so the Souls games. I heard it compared a lot to that, but I, besides a couple of little touchstones, I don't think it has too much in common with that. I think it's way more a, uh, a Zelda game with, uh, with the ability-gated progression and things like that. Mm. I really enjoyed the combat. It was weighty. It was satisfying. And I think it's always fair. It's one of those games where every time I took a hit, I felt like I, I should have just rolled the opposite way or I should have delayed what I did or, or you know, maybe maybe chosen a different option altogether. Um, I probably could have done with a map at times to, mm. to kind of help me with collectibles and things like that as I did get lost, but it definitely wasn't a, um, a deal breaker for me. Um, also thought the post game. I, I while I enjoyed the post game and I enjoyed spending a little bit more time in the world. I would have loved a bit more challenge in the post game. I would have liked uh, a few more kind of combat arenas. I found that probably sixty to seventy percent of the post game was just kind of walking around doing yeah. some fetch quest type kind of things, which I thought was you know it's okay. But the time that I would have liked to spend in that world a little more would have been something uh, preferable for me with with a bit more of a challenge uh, attached to it. Um, but all in all, I think if you're someone that likes your your short kind of contained games that still that still feel like a like a big kind of game um, and still have a lot to say, and you like a chill kind of experience, and if you like birds as well, then give Death Hour <laughs> a go. It's well worth it. Definitely, sir. Uh, that that aspect is maybe not essential. I mean, maybe if uh, whatever. I don't know what uh, is it. Ornithophobia, fear of birds. <laughs> you, you probably wouldn't want to play this if you probably have yeah it's ornithology so ornithobia sounds right we'll call it that <laughs> yeah all right tony to conclude i don't think i'm any different from what anyone else has said here really um i think there is that that weird like that just that final missing ingredient that makes it go to epic shelf stuff and i don't know whether that's just mm -hmm. the way it's story because beyond beyond like i always think that's damn in the faint praise because this is a spectacular brilliant game like you know I, I have no fear of recommending it i'd say the thing that shines for me the most is what other people maybe haven't glued to which is i really really like the combat i really like that kind of methodical dodge roll hit move on plan around you hit things back you know having time to kind of think about my next my next maneuver and um and see it play out and sometimes it doesn't work and sometimes it does so that's what will really stick with me about death store is that that whole kind of feedback loop from the combat um but i think you know beyond that visually it's 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 really i would say it's stunning but it's only in its in its way that's just really solid and you know brilliantly put together i think its world is solid and brilliantly put together i think the music is outstanding and to know you know to top it off to find out that this is a game made by a couple of guys over a few year period and some extra external help with the with the visuals is just mind-blowing like how have we got to a point where this is possible so um mm. for me it's like a, a solid nine out of ten really great experience and i guess because it's so close to having that magic that just takes it beyond. This almost feels like, ah, oh, it never quite got there, but the fact that it's as good and as solid as it is, I would I recommend most people really giving it a, a go because it might have that, that final 10% that takes it to a, an all-time classic like some of our correspondents. Um, but I'm pretty much sure that you'll have a really good time with it because um, it, it is, it's got its own uniqueness Um that isn't actually found in, in other games. So yeah, solid, absolutely solid for me. Cool. 
broad recommendation from the panel there. So it remains for me, Leon, to thank Chris, Sean, Tony, Editor Jay, our correspondents, and of course you for listening. Next time, in issue 574, we are at last covering legendary late 90s STG, Radiant Silver Gun. 